Hi everyone, I'm Claudia Sarek, and this is So You Wanna Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. So I am really excited to have Stratus Morfogan on the show. And if you don't know who he is, he's a New Yorker who has been in restaurants basically his entire life. But he's also the brain behind Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, which if you haven't heard of it, it's a contactless automate style restaurant that you use your phone that's very, very technology forward that has grown exponentially since launching during the pandemic. He's franchised this. He's international now. It's just huge. And it's all over social media. So I'm excited to talk to him about his story and the future of QSR space in general, what he sees our industry moving towards in terms of technology, especially in that fast casual space. He's also doing full service restaurants and incorporating technology there. So we're going to talk to him about that, his thoughts on Web3. He's even dipped his toes into NFTs. So stay tuned. This is going to be a great interview. All right. Well, Stratus, we're so excited to have you on the show today. Um, I feel like you'd be a great guest for this discussion on QSRs and where they're headed, given the forward-thinking nature of your concept, Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, which, for those that don't know, is fully contactless and, or, sorry, which is contactless and fully automated. But even though those qualities felt more tailored made for the pandemic, I understand that you were working towards it well before the pandemic hit. So talk to me a little bit about that and where your mind was at when you were creating this. Yeah. Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we, when we created Brooklyn Chop House in 2017, um, we created a Chinese fusion of an American steakhouse. And then when it got down to the dumpling, it got to the appetizers. I didn't want to do a chop house appetizer, like a cheeseburger or like, you know, traditional, you know, lobster bisque and yeah. cream of spinach and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to stay true to the concept. Of, yeah. of, of dim sum and chops. So when it got down to the dumplings, I said, let's, you know, when it came down to like, I don't want to do a bacon cheeseburger at a chop house. I want to do a bacon cheeseburger shiomai. Mm-hmm. I want to do, and let's keep going. I want to do a pastrami. I want to do a Reuben with Russian dressing. I want to do a bacon cheeseburger. I, I, forget about like lobster bisque and French onion soup. Let's just do it into dumplings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where this whole craze of our sandwich style, deli style dumplings took off. And fast forward a year later, I said, I want to do a one and a half ounce sandwich shop. Mm-hmm. Again, my investors and partners looked at me like I was, you know, I needed therapy. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, I said, um, a, a one and a half ounce sandwich is a dumpling to me. Yeah. But let's make it into a QSR. Let's turn it into fast casual. And, you know, I started writing the business plan and, and, and I realized I hate toll booth clerks okay. and I hate umpire. I hate umpires behind home plate. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I t- Tennis got it right yeah. using technology. And I said, you know, I love when my dad used to bring me to the automat of Horn and Harder back when I was like 10 years old. Yeah. I said, wouldn't it be cool to bring the, the automat back? And I saw what Itza did and a couple of other companies tried to reintroduce it, but I know what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I want to create like the Tesla version yeah. of the automat where the consumer controls the whole experience through their phone. Uh, you know, when I see like the McDonald's and all them of the world's doing the self-ordering kiosks and they think they're so smart, the self-ordering kiosk to the TikTok generation is like the fax machine to my generation. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's what it is. The self-ordering kiosk is already obsolete the way an iPad mm-hmm. is. 
you know, the kids live off their phone. Mm -hmm. And our target audience being the, the uh, TikTok generation. I've got daughters 14 and 16. They don't even want to talk to me. <laughs> I mean, funny. they just live off their phone. Yeah, right. And, and, and so why not, why not create a restaurant that speaks to them? And that's what we did with Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. And um, again, I, I didn't do this. This was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this for safety at all. I did it for economics and efficiencies. It, it, it eliminates human error, and it allows the consumer to order uh, on their time, not our time. Mm -hmm. The consumer takes complete control of the ordering experience. Right. And, and, and I like that. And I like getting rid of all the cashiers because, again, who wants to stop? when you cross a bridge or tunnel and stop and pay a toll, mm -hmm. I thought we were past that. But unfortunately, in hospitality, we're very late to embrace technology. We still have the toll booth clerk, and that's a cashier. Right, exactly. That is so interesting. And it sounds to me like you were kind of tapping into this younger generation audience and like how tech-centric the Gen Z really audience is before many other people were. So I want to back up a little bit. Talk us through exactly how the concept works when someone orders and how you into how everything is integrated. So you order off your phone, you go to our website, click on yep. location. It'll take you to the specific location that, that you're in, that you're nearby or where you where you know, in your vicinity. Uh, you, you click on time. You want to pick it up at 4 a.m. on a Friday or a Saturday, pick it up at 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. Place your order. You pay for the order. And then once you're complete and everything is approved on time and everything, you'll get a QR code emailed or texted to you, your choice. You'll get a QR okay. code. And once you get the QR code, you show up at, at the shop of, you know, of your choice. And you basically uh, scan your phone. The product is waiting at 148 degree locker. And you basically take your food. You should be in and out in 10 seconds. Wow. So are the chefs actually on site at every restaurant yes. making this? Okay. Fantastic. Yep. And then, so and, and, and like I said, Itza made a mistake. What they did is they created an automatic wall to wall. Mm -hmm. And people don't like that. People, there's no soul to that. It's like you're, you're having a relationship with a tin box, mm -hmm. you know, so that doesn't work. So we create all the Brooklyn dumpling chops are basically half automat, half glass kitchen. Oh, so you can still actually see the folks behind the screen making the product yeah. for you. Okay. And not, that's not how too people. Many because the way I've designed this with software, uh, three employees can service six to 800 people a day. Wow, the that's industry, amazing. The industry norm is 11. Yeah, so, I mean, I want to talk about that too and like kind of how you're, so I, I feel like in hospitality, we get into this because of, our folks get into this, it seems, for the people, the community, the sense of food and community bringing us all together. But it feels like what you've built here is really tailored made to whether some of the staffing and operation costing challenges that are facing the industry right now. So have you, how do you, how do you look at that right now? And what have you, what have you seen as far as other people trying to stand up similar concepts or trying to, trying to deal with some of those challenges as well? Yeah, we don't have any challenges with staffing. I don't even have any challenges at the traditional Brooklyn chop house. I have 25,000 square feet in Times Square. Wow. And um, when I, when I put uh, interviews out, I had 985 applicants for 130 jobs. I mean, how does that, how does that happen? What's, what's your secret? Because I feel like a lot of folks we talk to, we interview on this show have this constant issue with staffing. No, listen, our staff makes a lot of money. You know, okay. even with unemployment, we didn't have a problem because even though we're making a six to $800 a week in unemployment, well, they were making $2,400 by coming to work six days. Mm -hmm. So to me, we didn't have a problem then either. Now you have Brooklyn Dumpling Shop, 
you know, we're speaking their language. Mm-hmm. I, so we, we, we just opened Staten Island for seven jobs because it's three a shift for seven jobs that were needed. We put it, we put it in indeed. Mm-hmm. We got 335 applications. Oh so my when gosh. the restaurant was full of interviews I, before we opened, I asked them, you know, why do you want to work for us? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they said, because the concept is so cool. The concept is really cool. The choice of working at a, you know, at a pizzeria or a McDonald's uh, behind a cashier. Yeah. Or, or greeting customers and work in the room. Yeah. That, the greeter's job, so you know, Claudia, make about 40 to $50 an hour. Oh, my gosh. They're okay. employees. Wow. So remember, you run a Brooklyn Dublin shop, the, 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 um, the greeter, mm-hmm. expediter, cook. That's it. Now, the greeter makes $10.50 an hour, not 15 because they're tipped employees. Mm-hmm. So the house now is paying below minimum wage, mm-hmm. but they keep their tips, right? And their average tips are 30 to $40 an hour. Right. Wow. We all win. Yeah. You know, and you're talking about people that would have gone and worked for 15 bucks an hour are making at a minimum. The greeters at Brooklyn Dumpling Shop at a minimum make $30 an hour. Wow. And you can maintain that kind of volume in those shops to, to offer those yeah, wages. So just picture a room about 600 square feet, right? Yep. And you got a full room and you're the only one there. Hey, first time here. Hey, let me show you how it works. Oh, you got to try the chicken parm dumpling. You got to try the Philly cheesesteak. You got to try the froze egg. Oh, great. So they punch it in. Da, 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 and when it comes up, you see a thing that flashes up, mm-hmm. leave a tip. And, and they're not stupid. They're standing right next to you. Of course. You're standing right next to you after I've told you what to eat, showed you the system. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to leave five bucks. You're no, not going to leave right. $2. <laughs> and, and they work it. And I love that they hustle it. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. Or you'll get the person that will come in like, you know, 45 and over, and they'll look at all the technology and say, oh, oh my God, do I need an MIT degree to, an MIT degree to get a snack or, yeah. or a meal? I'm out of here. Yeah. And yeah. that's 40% of the, the 45 and over, 40% will walk out if there's no greeter. Because they're not, they're not comfortable with this. Oh, that's interesting. So the greeter's job is to say, hey, first time here, let me show you how it works. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. Da, 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 da. And it's done. And then when, it's, when you get a reaction from a customer that was walking out the door, mm-hmm. flip that customer, make them feel smarter than they are, and basically allow them to learn some, a new experience. What right. Amazon did, right? Changed all our buying habits. When you do that, that's a customer for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the beautiful idea of being very early in this market. And remember, the, the, you know, with the older crowd, the greeters just bringing them to the self-ordering kiosk. We know at the core, core uh, management team and tech team for Brooklyn Double Shop, that's the fax machine to us. Yeah. That is so outdated, but it's comfortable for the 40 and over crowd. They're, they're, they're just getting used to the self-ordering kiosk. Uh, but when we open like at a university, like we did at UConn, the kids walk in when the greeter says, hey, first time here. The kids are like this. I'm oh, good. they already know. Oh, they already know. Yeah. Leave me alone. I, yeah. I ordered this morning at 11 a.m. I'm just picking it up. Right. Like, right. Yeah. But when the 40 and over crowd walks in, they're like, help me. Help me. I'm lost. <laughs> and that's okay. Because you know what? That, that, it, it's fun. Because mm-hmm. we can't be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. We know our target audience is 13 to 30. But the older crowd, we're educating them. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way, you know, grandmas are ordering from Amazon right now. Mm-hmm. They never expected they'd be ordering from a little thing called a computer. Sure. Well, I mean, I also, I mean, what it sounds to me, though, is that 
so many of these QSR concepts have that have been around for a long time, the customer expectation around human interaction may be a little more rigid. There's like this this ingrained how we how we do it in QSR, but it sounds like you've really found that sweet spot between technology, customer interaction, and how you can help facilitate that in a really seamless process where it's fun, engaging. I mean, I would imagine a lot of people just come in just to see the technology because it's so interesting. Oh, I mean, so you got to remember, Claudia, we are in the reaction business. Mm-hmm. We're in the reaction business. Yeah. And what social media has done is really exacerbated that comment that I just said. Because if you create a big reaction, what's the first thing you do? You get out your phone. You know, you pull yeah. out your phone. And if you create a if you create a big reaction in a negative tone, well, they're going to do the same. They're going to pull right. out their phone and say this place sucks. So we are in the reaction business. If you could get a good reaction, or, or unfortunately a bad reaction, yeah. it has a chance to go viral. Mm-hmm. It depends how big the reaction is. But when you create a reaction in our industry, and it's a positive one. You can write your ticket. We have 600 million views on TikTok, and it's all because we, we create a reaction. That's amazing. I was just going to ask you how your social following does, and if a lot of people are finding you via those viral videos that they're posting. You know, the restaurant is so optic. When you walk in, you see the, the red and blue lights of the automat. You see the dumpling machines working. Yeah. You know, it, it's, just, it's very optical. And then when they're eating a peanut butter and jelly dumpling, and, and, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it sells itself. You know, <laughs> You know, it's like, what, you know, what is this thing? This is, or a bacon, egg, and cheese crow something, which I yeah. created. I, I just got the patent for it. It's the most unbelievable breakfast dumpling. It's a croissant-shaped dumpling. I mean, I love it. When when are you going to no, do sorry, gold? dumpling-shaped croissant. Yeah. Are you on gold belly? Can I order this for tomorrow morning? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I've been, I, you know, he used to chase me years ago. Yeah. But I, I never gave him the time of day. And now, now I, I got to get back to the guy who created yeah. gold belly. I avoided it like, I think it was 15 years ago when he started. I'm like, I'm not interested. Yeah. Especially now that you have the social following and you kind of know how to, how to, how to tackle that audience. I'm like, where can I hit order after this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's exciting because we're going to, we've sold over 300 franchises. It's amazing. uh, In 2022, we're opening one shop every two weeks and 23, it's one basically every week, three to four a month. Okay. And in 24, 25 and 26, it's a hundred a year. Wow. And is this only in North America, United States, or is this all, uh, we, all over? We, well, we sold North America. We sold Canada, which is still North America, but we're also selling the UK and Italy. Okay. And then we got a, a deal right now for North Africa and the Middle East. Oh, so it's interesting. Going, it's going global, but we're, we're really, you know, we haven't really penetrated the domestic market. Yeah. We're, we're going to be in about 30 states. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more to do. And those 30 states are still room, too. Oh, sure. Of course. And, it, and as one person sees that it, it's just going to go viral and more viral from there. So I feel yeah, like you're... we just opened, for example, we just opened Staten Island. You know, he, you know, his numbers were, I, I'm not allowed to say numbers, but I'm, I'm regulated by the FDD. But okay. Let's just say his numbers, our numbers a week were a dollar a week. Yeah. Well, he's doing about $9 a week. So you could imagine every franchisee that's on the, on the fence yeah. or on the sidelines. I mean, they're calling Emir in Staten Island like, hey, I got five questions for you. Mm-hmm. How are your sales? What's your food cost? Yeah. How's your payroll? The strat is full of shit. Um, and and are you going to open a second store? These are all. The, this is always the five questions that because they don't want to hear it from me. They want to hear it from people that have their own money on the line. Right. And, right. And and Amir Amir is like telling me, Stratus, tell them to stop calling me. I need to run my business. <laughs> I'm getting ten calls a day. So yeah. now I've told everybody that's on the franchising part of our company, Monday. Between 12 and 4, 
That's you gotta it. block it. You gotta block the schedule. You got those four hours. Call up your own right. you want. Four hours. Or go there and be a customer and see it for yourself. I want to go to the next question, which is how is the internet how are how are you doing internationally? Do you find I'm just curious if that audience is just as has the appetite for this kind of technology as you find in the United more. States. Oh, more. even more. Okay. More because you gotta remember and remember we have the name Brooklyn in our name. Oh, you sure. Know, that's total not yeah, we, it's like novelty. You know, that, we don't even discuss that part of it. And every time I do interviews, we have the word Brooklyn in our name. And Brooklyn's cool. Yeah. And if you ask the guy that owns Brooklyn Lager, the sales that he does in Europe, especially Germany and Ireland, you know, when a hipster is at a bar and they see the word Brooklyn up and down the draft, it looks a lot better than Stratus. Yeah. You know, it looks a lot better than Joe. You know, Stratus Dumplings, Joe Dumplings. You know, Brooklyn is a very sellable name. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. A lot bigger than Manhattan. I, I mean, yeah, it's Brooklyn. It's edgier, right? Of course. So I want to talk a little bit about the full service concepts that you run, because you also do that as well. And I understand that you've installed some of your automation in there as well. So talk to me a little bit about that and what that's looked like, incorporating some of that QSR technology into that full service, which we don't always see as often in our industry. Oh, yeah. I'm So uh, my grandfather had the first Greek restaurant in New York in 1910. He was there from 1910 to 1975. And when, the, when COVID hit, you could imagine every week I was getting five or six offers from mm-hmm. landlords that took back restaurants. Um, so I did the two biggest deals in New York during COVID, 25,000 feet in Times Square. And I did uh, 14,000 feet in Greenwich Village. And um, I was like, all right, maybe it's time to bring back the Pappas name back to the Morfogan family. Mm-hmm. So I made, a, you know, I made a great deal, a deal that would not be available today. Yeah. And I secured the 14,000 feet. Uh, with landlord, a lot of landlord help. And, um, and then I, you know, I said, you know what, I, like my book, I have a book called Be a Disruptor. I don't, I never look at anything conventional. Yeah. I look at things on how I can totally dis- dismantle it, deconstruct it, and how I can fix it and bring it back my way. So you're a true That's entrepreneur. <laughs> I just disrupt every model. Yeah. And there is entrepreneurs, but then there's entrepreneurs that want to disrupt it. And it's two different, two different types of mindsets. Uh-huh. A lot of entrepreneurs that just do the status quo, mm-hmm. you know, um, but entrepreneur with a disruption model is different. It's a different person. And you know, I, I, I'm born that way. Yeah. So I look at things and I tear them down and I build them up. But failure, remember, comes with that. When you have that mentality, failure is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Than the normal person just opening a Greek diner. Let me open a Greek diner. Great. Here's the menu. Here's the cheeseburger. Here's the cash. We're done. But I put a three-star New York Times chef's in my dad's Greek diner in 1990. And we were the only diner that you needed two weeks in advance for reservations on Friday and Saturday. Oh, in my weeks. gosh. Jeez. So, you know, but, but, but to answer your question, I just wanted to lay that down so you understand my mindset. Yeah, no, that's that great. I, I hate at, at Brooklyn Chop House, and we're reopening Pappas Taverna with the chef of Milos and Avra, and it's going to be the first wood-burning Greek restaurant, disrupting again, and we're going to open that probably at the end of November. But um, I hate the idea of every time we get a lot of deliveries and pickup orders, first of all, you get the smelly drivers coming in, which I hate. You know, they're <laughs> not dre- you got everybody dressed in suits and ties, right. and then you got five or six drivers standing around. That doesn't work for me. Okay. Um, so what I said is, you know, why not bring the automat and put it flush like an ATM machine? Mm-hmm. And this way, instead of having four hosts in the front saying, Claudia gets this, Uber Eats gets that, Grub Street gets this, Joe gets this, stapling bags. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if the runner just brought it to the back of the automat that's flush with the sidewalk? 
putting it in the automat, click done, and then the customer gets a QR code to their phone, your order's ready in the locker, and now they don't have to come in the restaurant. I love that idea to do as a customer, where a customer, you know, they may want to wear sweatpants and like flip-flops. They don't want to walk into a restaurant where everybody's dressed up, but they're hungry. They want to eat something. But now they could do it from the curb, and Mm. they do it on their time. Mm-hmm. And now I got rid of those four people stapling bags. Mm-hmm. I got rid of the whole logistical component. Mm-hmm. I got rid of the whole middle. The middle person is gone. And, and with that, um, I, I save five, four or five jobs. Yeah. I eliminate or, or really reduce human, mis- human error. Yeah. When you make a human error on a delivery or a takeout, it's two mistakes. It's two mistakes. So when you screw up one order, you screw up the second order. You've flipped them around. You got two angry customers with one mistake. Those are hard numbers. And those are, and those are legit numbers. Mm-hmm. So now with Papa's Taverna that's opening up, consumers can go on our website, order, pick a time, the same thing that they do at Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. And now they can go to fine dining and, and, you know, and get you know, any type of Greek specialty or fish, a whole fish out of the grill, I mean, out of the wood-burning oven. And they can order all their favorite you know, Mediterranean items. Mm-hmm. And pick it up without going into the store. And what is the, I mean, have you seen that customers really like this? What has been the response from the customers in general? We haven't opened it. Oh, you haven't done it yet. We haven't opened it yet. But but, but the idea of it is getting a lot of of, uh, attention. Because again, we're, you know, again, why do I need four people stapling bags? I don't. Right. All I need is the runner from the kitchen to staple the bag once and bring it to the right, directly to the automat and close the door. I don't need anybody to file anything. Locker one through thirty, boom! It's going to be it's going to be designated to that QR code. I mean, it, it's just making yourself more efficient, mm-hmm. allowing the consumer to control the ordering process, mm-hmm. and you're saving money on payroll. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just spoke at a conference called Mertech in Vegas. About sixteen hundred people there. Uh, a guy got up and said, "Why are we even talking to this guy? Why do we even have him here? He's just a yuppie asshole stealing jobs." And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the moderator, oh, you can't use profanity. I said, yes, you have to stop. Allow the profanity. Yeah. Because obviously he doesn't understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But let me answer it. There's a hundred other people that are probably believing what he's saying. Yeah. And what he's saying is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not taking jobs. I'm saving not just jobs. I'm going to revolutionize an industry mm-hmm. by being the, the, the industry normal payroll from 32%. I'm going to drop it to 15%. So an industry statistic, fact, seven out of 10 restaurants fail within 30 months. The number one reason is they can't meet payroll. That's pre-COVID. Forget about the old COVID challenges you have now. If I tell those people that are failing or on the skids, if I could drop 17 or 15 more points to your bottom line, would, would you close the doors? I'm like, hell no. Right. No, we'll survive. We'll make money. Actually, we'll thrive. Right. And that's what this is about. So I went back to the, the guy who said that. And I said, let me tell you, we are saving jobs with the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop model. He says, what do you smoke? And I heard about you in an interview where you said the average is 11 employees and you're down to three to mm-hmm. four. Good. Do the math. We're saving jobs. He's like, what are you smoking? It's <laughs> hilarious. I was just beating yeah. him. And, and I, said, I said, now you're going to do the math. If seven out of 10 fail and they're out of business, what happens to those jobs? And now you made my argument stronger. You said there's 11. Great. So 88 people, 77 people go out of yeah. business instead of 44 people employed. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the follow-up. For every hospitality job that's lost, 10 
non-hospitality jobs are mm-hmm. lost. Think about that. For every food job lost, 10 people that are not in hospitality lose their job. The truck driver, the vendors, the guy who cuts your hair, the guy who shines your shoes, they all lose their jobs because 50% of every storefront is food yeah. driven. You do that math together, we're saving so many jobs. Yeah. And I guess, you're, and I said, that I wanted to really now reduce this guy to ashes like where he should have been. I said, you're probably the same person that was on the expressway when the toll booth clerks were broken down and there were no more toll booth mm-hmm. clerks. You were probably saying the same yeah. thing. Look at these toll booth clerks. They're losing their job. Now, for the last three years, you've been going 30 miles an hour through that bridge and tunnel crossing. How do you feel? Would you rather stop? Sometimes wait 30 minutes, give your 20 bucks, get $10 change, and then proceed? Or go 30 miles an hour straight through and let them scan your license plate or your easy pass? And the whole place like this. I mean, I also think that it's also not, I mean, nobody wants to sit there stapling bags, as you kind of mentioned this before. It's like, what are we actually doing then with those people? Like, we're actually giving them something more meaningful to do so that some of the menial tasks that, like, Nobody really wants to do that all day. Well, well, well now post-COVID, your argument is correct. Yeah, I, you know, people don't want this Right, jobs. and so it's like, well, I mean, we're kind of reallocating here. We're giving people maybe more, maybe things that they can really sink their teeth into. They can grow. I mean, and as you said, too, Brooklyn Dumpling Shop has really grown. So that's also new locations, more employees there. So, I mean, I think that's kind of like the argument that he was giving you. is It's a little zoomed in. It's like, let's zoom out and see where we're actually going, where we're headed as a whole industry. And what about the jobs that technology makes? Uh, that too. That's right, exactly. Somebody's got to watch all this stuff. See, and- see our model at Brooklyn Dumpling Shop is the reason why we sold 50 Dumpling Shop franchises before I opened store one, because the model, people understood the model. Our model is simple. Small footprint, small labor force, small overhead higher paying jobs, less jobs, but higher paying jobs, maximum profits. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. So I'm curious. So you've got that for the outside of the shop and your full service restaurant. Are you thinking about any doing like robot servers or do you still want that face-to-face interaction when it comes to the full yeah, service? In, in fine dining, in fine dining, I hate the robots. I, yeah. Where I do, where I do love the mm-hmm. robots, uh, you know, in, in, you know, the fryer, right? The fryer is dropping French fries or mm-hmm. onion rings. You, that's a robot mm-hmm. job. Because you don't want people, people don't even want that job. They don't want to be a fry no. cook. That's like 1950s yeah. McDonald's. But a robot doing a fryer or flipping mm-hmm. a burger, that's a robot's job. 100% a robot should be doing that job. What the other people should be doing are limited staff, you know, cutting, creating, you know, uh, sauces, doing things more creative and more, uh, impactful to the product of the of the operation, but I, I don't believe robots should go past that. Uh, I don't believe I, I don't. I mean, robot servers. Ah, I, I don't see any. You know, I, I guess for like an airport type style where you order off or like a yeah. kiosk at the at the table, and if a robot can really bring it to you, I, I don't mind that. So it's a burger. It's whatever. But in fine dining, hell yeah. No. It seems to me that people really want that face-to-face interaction. But then when it comes to, for example, we see this a lot with checking out. Like, you don't want to wait for the bill. You want to be able to scan it and check out right there in some situations. I agree agree and I disagree. So if you look at the TikTok generation, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to. Yeah, they live on their phones. I have have 14, 16-year-old daughter. They don't want to talk (laughs) to me. You know, they don't want to talk to me. The the, the TikTok generation is like, you know, dad, the only time I want to talk to you is to get Taylor, Taylor, Taylor 
whatever, Taylor Swift to, <laughs> you know, you know, that, you know, you know, all of a sudden my credit card's coming through because she's performing in New York and my, my kids are already buying yeah. the tickets without even yeah, asking. Yeah. So that's all they want to talk to me about. They don't want to talk to me. And, and neither does the whole TikTok generation want to speak to a yeah. cashier. They don't want to speak to a mm-hmm. greeter. It's funny. So the, the 35, 40 and over crowd, you know, will come in and they feel comfortable with the mm-hmm. greeter because it's that service that you're talking about. But when you target the 13 to 30-year-olds, they don't even want to talk to the greeter. They're annoyed. Yeah. This, this is the number one thing they do. Put their hand up. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm good. Oh, I, I, I know how to right. do this. Oh, I love it. The first day we opened in Staten Island, our first hour. Oh, I've been here before. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, really? really? We oh, just like, opened. <laughs> yeah, we have. And that was the best because that showed it yeah. all. This kid walked in. We just opened the first hour, and she goes, "No, I'm good. I've, I've been here before." Okay, you, we yeah. laugh. We laugh so much, but it tells you how how adamant yeah. they are about just leave me alone. So I believe so half what you said, I agree. The other half, it depends on the age group. You know, you know, my age group, you're still young, but you know, 45, 50, and over, they want to speak to someone. But but that that young generation of 13 to 25, mm-hmm. 13 to 30. They don't want to speak to anyone. And that's okay by me because the least amount of conversation, the lower the payroll. I'm, uh, I'm doing a contactless drive-thru. We're going to launch a couple of them in 23. Oh, you don't speak to right. anyone. You pull up to a carport. If, uh, you place your order, QR codes. You pull to the side of a 600-square-foot building. There are three employees inside. On the short part of the building is the automat now, like an ATM machine to walk up to. And then on each side, the automat now is horizontal. And it opens up and pushes a silver plate right into the driver's wow. seat. Wow. And you take your food and you go. Because remember, if you go to the left, the, the, the building is now going to your passenger seat. So we've got to make that metal plate come out like this, where it comes right into the passenger seat to take your bag. Oh, interesting. On, on the right side, it's going to hit you on the driver's yeah. side. Well, that kind of goes into my next question, which was going to be, do you see any barriers to entry with people wanting to do more of these fully automated styles and what else do you see in the future here for those that do want to try this and how do you see this more of these automated solutions evolving in the industry you know it's getting out of your comfort level i, I just spoke to a, a group that has 30 restaurants in canada they want to bring it to new york they want to put me on the mm-hmm. board i met with them over a cigar we spoke and within five minutes of talking to them i passed on the opportunity because I, I said to them, you know, we started talking about technology. Like, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable opening a restaurant without my cashiers in the front. That's all I had to hear. And I'm yeah. done. Because that's like an old Greek school mentality. Like my dad and his generation. You know, I used to tell my father, you know, let's get POS systems for the diner. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good. Uh, I'm going to okay, mimic yeah, it really go, funny. Go, yeah. <laughs> what the hell do I need? Uh, what the hell do I need POS for? <laughs> Let me tell you what I need. I got your mother at the cashier. <laughs> I have your mother at the cashier. That's all I need for POS. <laughs> and, I, and, and if you know my dad, that's exactly how he sounded. And then he would end it off with, get the Windex. 
That's a true so story. So have you been? He had Windex in his. Pulse. Have you been nominated for an Academy Award yet, or not? Or is that on your list of yeah. things? Oh, you want to yeah. laugh? Oh, my book, my book, my book is being optioned for a major studio. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, we're already like yeah. we're living there, in the future as we talk. Yeah. Okay. So, so they're just trying to figure out if I'm going to have a little part in it. I said I'm a really good actor. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, we'll play this recording back for them, and they can hear it. You'd be like, see, I have, <laughs> yeah, I, I, get the part. I have proof. I got the. I got to get Claudia executive associate yeah. producer. Yeah, Claudia. there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So last question here, five years from now, what do you think is going to be one of the biggest developments in QSR space in general, not just your shops, but what do you think that people, maybe the stuff they're not even talking about right now that you think is going to become very, very mainstream and we should all prepare ourselves for. So there is like a lot of things like, you know, we just talked about all the sexy parts, you know, the automat and the phone, that's all sexy. Software technology is amazing right now and people are not using it. Let me show you about the software that we created. So if Oregano goes up a mm-hmm. corner and, 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 it's, and it's punched in by the admin of Cisco or my grocers or my fish market, they punch in the, they punch in the order mm-hmm. number. And if any of those products are, are fluctuated in price, it adjusts my food cost before it's delivered. You start doing things like that and you start outsourcing human resources and you start outsourcing uh, uh, accounting. You know, one out, and I went to my dentist really recently, and he's a you know high priced Madison Avenue dentist. When I finished, the screen came out, and a virtual guy showed up and said, "Everything was good. Great, you're all set. Your next appointment is this." And oh, then wow. I, I hit him again that I wanted to speak yeah. to him. I said, "Where are you located?" He's like, "Oh, we're in Houston." And how many dentist offices do you do? He's like, "I do a hundred. Oh my gosh! One person. And my dentist said he used to have three people there doing. Oh my god! And he outsourced it. He outsourced it to centralized and one person now is doing it instead of three and that one person is responsible for a hundred dentist shop dentist can you actually see his and now now i'm getting to need a visual so is it so you see his face right and 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 it it looks like how do i explain it like if you touch it he actually comes on but it looks like it almost looks virtual but it's really when when i tapped on him it looks like it was like almost like a cartoon version of him okay it's really interesting but that's the future is minimizing your staff, becoming more efficient, becoming more effective. Get on the metaverse, mm-hmm. get your NFT programs ready because we're we're launching the first NFT private supper club in Times Square at Brooklyn uh, Chopper. Oh, House. interesting. In 1997, I told the I told the sporting goods, um, you know, conglomerate. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were worth about three billion dollars. I won't mention their name. In 1997, when I brought the Fulton Fish Market on the internet, in 1996. Yep. I said, there's this new thing called the internet, and I'm telling you, you got to get your, your, all your sporting goods on it. He's like, there's no way in hell someone's going to buy a glove or a shirt or a jersey without touching mm-hmm. There's a thing called Amazon, and they're not selling books mm-hmm. anymore. They're going to be going into toys and sporting goods and all the rest. They're going to eat your lunch if you have that attitude. It's like Stratus, I'm worth $2, $2.8 billion. You've got a couple of little restaurants. Enjoy your FultonStreet.com project, but you're way out of your league. I said, you know, I'll tell you this now. I said, Mitch, here's my prediction for that type of mentality. 25 years, you'll be bankrupt. It's like, Stratus, they want me to go public at $3 billion valuation. 25 years from now, you're going to be bankrupt. That's my prediction. 22 years later, he filed bankruptcy. Oh, my God. 196 stores. Wow. 196 stores. And let me tell you why he went bankrupt. Online killed him. He only had a business card. Up till about 2010, he had a business card only. That's it? 
business card and location finder. Oh my God. I told him, I said, you're ahead of yeah. Amazon. You got 186 buildings. Use them for same day delivery. Use them for drop off. Right. Use them for returns. Right. This isn't going away. This and, is only going to get, get more embedded in society. Yeah. Yeah. That the reason why Walmart survived, they, they were old school, but they changed quick when they saw Amazon was eating their lunch. But if you're slow to react, you are going to die. You are going to fail. And, and I'm telling everybody today, and I hope they don't look at this 10 years from now and say, I should have listened. Get your metaverse yeah. going. Get your stores on the metaverse. Trademark your names on the metaverse. And get your NFT programs going. My NFT program at Brooklyn Chop House uh, will be $8,025 and $100,000 for NFT memberships. And I've added hospitality to NFT. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, 8,000 just gets you into the private mm -hmm. club. Because remember, that society wants to, they don't want to talk to me and you. We have bank accounts. They want to talk to their own, their, own, their, their own community. And they're like 18 to like, you know, early 20s, your age. But crypto crowd is different. They're, they're, you know, they don't want to speak to people with bank accounts. They want to speak their own language. So if you create a restaurant, a setting, and a social environment where a guy meets a guy or a guy meets a girl at a bar and they're talking crypto, that's their like, that's their head. Yeah. Uh, that, that's just like an oasis right you know it's, that's a dream so to me um you know we're adding hospitality so when you go to the twenty five thousand dollar range it's um you have x amount of reservations yeah there's like a utility uh, there's the a utility to it which i think it, is yeah the hundred thousand yeah. car service to and from the airport cater your private oh, plane dang. car service to and from the yeah. hotel and it's a hundred thousand one-time payment now Let's say how cool this is. Hundred thousand. Let's say the twenty-five thousand, which is middle of the road. Twenty-five thousand. Yeah, one time. You, I, oh, you're at Soho House. How many years you been there? Seven. What do you pay? Four thousand. You've already blown away twenty-eight sure. grand. And that money's in the garbage. What about this? You can go sell the NFT on the blockchain now, and have it as an mm -hmm. asset. And I make ten percent every time you mm -hmm. sell. I mean, that to me is like the the genius of of, of having a private yeah. club with nfts instead of a traditional membership yeah. club. yeah i think we're going to start seeing more and more of that but it sounds like you're doing i mean i feel like i could talk to you about any aspect of this and you're like i'm doing this now over here i'm doing this over here i didn't even think we were going to touch on mm -hmm. nfts today so this is amazing <laughs> i everybody watch out for stratus i feel like we're going to see you everywhere and all over the place including the metaverse <laughs> yeah listen i you know i love what i do and i love creating and like i said i wrote a whole book about it I've realized from the age of six years old to today, I've disrupted yeah. everything. I mean, my father used to call it stubborn. The new word for stubborn is disruptive. Yeah, I like that. So my book, Be a Disruptor, like I said, there's uh, there's two movie options for it, but it looks like it's going it's to yeah. go. And I'm excited about it because it's just about a journey of a New York City mm -hmm. kid with a Greek immigrant family. And it shows his path and journey through the, the wild streets of New York City and how to survive in mm -hmm. business. And that's why it says, Be a Disruptor. Streetwise lessons from the mob to mandates. That's amazing. Well, we'll look forward to reading that. It was so great to have you on the show today, Stratus. This was awesome. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Want to hear more? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, and interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for our free newsletter, Back of House News. Our team of reporters cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you really need to see each and every week. This is honestly one of the best weekly newsletters I've ever read, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. 
Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. Yeah.